Well, the odometer says it's only 4.1 miles between San Juan and here, but I now know there are 11 lights. And they were all red. So that's my excuse. Hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. We are in the midst of a series called We Are the Church. And this is our second week. Last week we talked about the idea that within the context of the church, and it's prescribed in the church when it's born in Acts chapter 2, that there's five purposes that go on. That there's a sense whenever we're gathered as a church family, we're to worship together. And Pastor Ty talked about worship last week as expressing our love for Jesus, celebrating our relationship with God and the enthusiasm we have in that relationship. This week we're going to talk about the idea of fellowship, which I'm going to call doing life together. Next week we're going to talk about the idea of serving. And the following week about discipleship or becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And then that final week we're going to talk about evangelism. And so when the church was born, and it's the sense that in the first century, the church wasn't known for its buildings. I think sometimes today, the church is known for its buildings. Then it was known for its people. And the church lies at the very heart of God's eternal purpose. It's not a side thought in his mind. It is at the heart of God's eternal purpose. And his purpose was not just to save individuals, but was to gather saved individuals into a unique community of believers, which sometimes is called the family, and sometimes it's called the church, and sometimes it's called the community, and, and it's just unique. And at South Shores, we're very concerned about what does it mean for us to express to be a body of believers? What does it mean to call you into relationship with other believers in such a way that it's dynamic, and that it's life-changing, and that it's revolutionary? And I want to talk about it in those terms. I don't want us to just think in any sort of lazy sort of manner about the church because it's too important. It's just too important. It is God's transforming force, not just for our lives, but for the world. It is the only thing that will last until eternity is the church. And there are churches everywhere. You know, we think McDonald's has done well and Pepsi's done well and even Starbucks has done well, but there are churches in more communities across the world than there are Starbucks, McDonald's, and Pepsi's combined because the church makes a difference in every community that it exists in as it's God's people gathered to make a difference. Now, I don't know, have you been following the Olympics? I mean, how can you not? It's like 17 hours of TV. My, my, my DVR said full after three days, and I started cutting through all this stuff so I'd have some space for the next show. But, you know, there's, there's two teams I want to highlight in the Olympics. Do you see the first one on the screen? This is the 2016 men's basketball team. You recognize people on it. It's made up of 12 NBA All-Stars, people like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Clay Thompson and, and Carmel Anthony. And the expectations for this team are sky high. And They had five exhibition games, and they won by an average of 50 points. And they won their first two games by 50 points. But then they had this kind of close call, only beating Australia by 10. And then they played Serbia on Friday. And like with five seconds left on the clock, Serbia had the hand on their ball and had the chance for a three-pointer to tie the game. And everybody went crazy in panic. And they're saying like, do we have the wrong team here? You know, we got these 12 all-stars. There's nobody else in the world as good as them. We wouldn't take anybody off of any other single team, which one person, to replace a guy on our team. And yet we almost lost. Boy, expectations are sky high for this group. Nothing short of gold will matter. Let me show you a picture of another team. You may not recognize this team. This is the 2016 Olympic women's field hockey team. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I didn't even know field hockey was an Olympic sport until I watched one of their matches the other day. And in fact, this is my memory of field hockey. In the fall, when I was in high school, while the boys were playing football, 
on the field next door, the girls were playing field hockey. And they had plaid skirts on, and they had these funny crooked sticks. I did not know. This has been an Olympic sport since 1904, and the women have played it since 1980. And the women that make up this team are, are, are totally unknown. They will never be on the cover of Wheaties box. They will never be in a commercial. They will never be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Cross their fingers unless they win gold. And then I sure hope they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated that week. Little is expected of this group. They're unknown. They're a group of misfits brought together. And yet they are making all of us so excited and so thrilled. Now let me just offer this analogy, and I won't make it too closely. The church is more like the women's field hockey team than it is like the basketball team. We are not a group of all-stars. Look around. We're a bunch of misfits. We're a bunch of imperfect, sinful people. These are not necessarily the people that you would choose to do life together with. The church is kind of like your natural family. You're just thrown together with them, and you've got to put up with them. With all their warts and with all their difficulties, you know, you just know it. It's a challenge. And yet the church is thrown together to make a difference. And the first century church was no different, yet they bonded together in a way that it was said about them after one generation that they changed their world and turned it upside down. And that's what God wants of us. Now, it's a challenging thing to be involved in community and do life together with people today. In fact, one commentator writes about our world in Atlantic Magazine. She's commenting on the last 50 years. See if it expresses. He says, in the last 50 years, we as Americans have volunteered less. We have people over at a dinner less than our parents did, and they do it less than their parents did. We have fewer and fewer close friends with which we are known and know us. Men, we're particularly bad at this. If you're asked to identify your best friend, it's probably somebody you haven't seen in 20 years. I mean, that's the way we operate sometimes. It's somebody we're really close with at a particular circumstance in life, but we're not right now. Women, you're far better at this, but because of your busy lives, it's even challenging for you to say, here are my best and closest friends. We're denying our social nature and we're paying a price for it. In fact, over the same period of time, she says, this author, that social interaction has so decreased in our lives and what has increased in corresponding nature in the opposite way is suicide and depression. So as our connectedness, our closeness, our relationships, our being known and supported decreases, depression and suicide increases. And the church, we're not that much better at it in terms of the way we're thought of in this world today. We've got some seriously bad press in the last 10 years. In fact, you just take some lists of authors who have written books. Listen to this one, Life After Church. Another one, How to Be a Christian Without Ever Going to Church. Dear Church, I'm quitting. So you don't want to go to church anymore. I like this one. I like church. I mean, I like Christ, but I'm not so sure about the church. Each was written by a former Christian or churchgoer who's disgruntled and doesn't think the church is cutting it. And we've become known, the church is becoming known by such trends as church shopping and church hopping. As if we're consumers and if the church stops meeting our needs, we'll just move on to the next place to see that it does. We'll find a better worship team or a better preacher or a better children's ministry or a better youth ministry or one that's not building a building and what's one that's not raising money and one that's not moving on me. I mean, it's the way we think. Irregular church attendance on the rise. More recently, a survey indicated that those who consider themselves church members and attend regularly still only are in a pew two-thirds of the time. Just two out of every three Sundays. 
Only four times, in, you know, or six times in two months. You know, kind of this idea of, of this you can see. And then the other is, is do those people that are in any way connected in church have relationships within that church outside the mass of like 500 people gathered in worship on a Sunday morning? Or are they just kind of enjoying a relative anonymity in this location, but they don't have the kind of intimacy and closeness with others that is so needed? I mean, there's even confusion about the phrase fellowship. You know, here at South Shores, you can't be with us too long before you see how much we like food. But, you know, there's a purpose behind our food, and that is is that you just seem to be able to talk to people a little more easily when you're holding a cup of coffee, and you've got a donut in your hand, and, of course, now that you've got a name tag on. It just seems a little easier, right? And yet we even have confusion about that. Recently, one of our youngest members of our church was asked, or just a young person in our church was asked, so why do you do coffee, donuts, and lunch? Why do we do that? And without hesitation, the individual said, well, of course you do it to wake people up before they drive home. Oh, we're missing it. (laughs) Relationship in a community of believers is so much more than that. You're saved into a church family. You're saved into a body of Christ. You're saved into a community of believers. And we're to worship together. We're to do life together. We're to grow together. We're to serve together. And we're to reach out into our community together. So let's talk about three aspects of this togetherness. hate that word, togetherness. That sounds so cute. Okay, first, we do life together through belonging. I'm going to get the big elephant in the room out of the way right away. Membership in a church. You know, the topic of belonging and ultimately church membership is as important today as it's ever been. Especially with so many of us wanting to be church hoppers and church shoppers and consumers. And we wonder, and maybe you've wondered this, is membership at South Shores just if I attend regularly or I give regularly? Or I've been here since sheep were grazing on these hillsides? Or is it like, you know, and I'd encourage you if you had your wallet, you could pull it out. And I'm sure all of you have at least three membership cards. I've got a membership card to my health insurance plan. I've got a membership card to AAA. And I've got a membership to Costco. Oh, that last one I really love. All the special privileges of struggling to find parking, waiting in line with my 20 items. I mean, I don't even have to be a member anymore to get my hot dog. All of the food stands are now outside. And yet we love it, don't we? And yet we don't have a membership card at South Shores. We don't have to pay $55 for a standard membership, $75 for an executive, and $85 for one associate. Everyone's welcome through the doors. There's no discounts. I know some of you are discouraged. There's no reserved parking. There's no reserved seating, though you wouldn't know it by where some of you sit in the same place every week. And there are really no special privileges. In fact, here at South Shores, we express our membership not through privileges, but through responsibilities, through affirmations of faith. In fact, if you came to our membership class, this is what we'd ask of you when you filled out the membership application. We'd ask you to affirm these things. Do you believe that Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for your sins and wants to be your personal Savior? That's number one. That's what makes us unique. Do you believe the Bible is the holy word of God and our guide for practice and faith? And do you believe the Holy Spirit is a source of power for the Christian life? And is it your desire to live a consistent life through God's word and his power through his spirit in your life? Does that surprise you? That's not a, that's not a privilege. That's, that's a responsibility. I commit to being a part of South Shore's church family as it seeks to reach those who do not believe, as it seeks to grow those who are part of the family as fully devoted followers and seeks to empower every disciple to be a minister. 
See, when you become a part of South Shores Church, you're saying, I take on the responsibility of reaching others and growing myself and being empowered to equip. You take on the responsibility of saying, I will protect the unity of South Shores Church by acting in love towards other members. That I will give regularly to the support of South Shores Church and its ministries. And that I will faithfully pray for South Shores Church and its leaders and its ministries. See, we're a body of believers drawn together by our mutual commitment to Christ and to one another. We choose to belong here. It doesn't happen naturally. It's a choice. Here at South Shores, there are two elements of that choice. One is immersion baptism. Last Saturday, we, or Sunday, we baptized seven folks who had been through our membership class and had realized they hadn't been baptized since becoming followers of Jesus Christ and they wanted to identify with the body of Christ through baptism. And it was awesome. It was an awesome pathway, an awesome expression of their spiritual journey. And then we say to people, sign that membership application. I mean, we let you vote at the annual meeting. Okay, that's the one privilege you get. You get to vote on the budget and the, and the slate of deacons. And, and, and this year you got to vote on something else. Just a minor thing about building some buildings and committing ourselves to a lot of debt down the road. Now, this sense of that's what we're committed to. A community of believers with mutual, mutual commitments. And the church, we affirm your affirmation of your trust in Christ, your baptism, and your membership, and welcome you into that body. And here's a principle I, I don't want us to miss. We need to stay put in a church family and build deeper connections. You know, in our culture, everything is splitting up. Marriages are splitting up when they get hard. And people go on to seek someone else who may be easier to live with. And I have found that most marriages need to just push through those moments and learn what God intends for them to learn in that moment and enjoy the rich depth that comes when you push through those times. And and families are splitting up when they get hard and relationships and businesses and partnerships and, and it just goes on and on. But most of us know that when we stay through time and we persevere through circumstances, relationships get so much richer and take on so much more depth and so much more mutual accountability. I'm so privileged that the fact that my five or six closest friends are all 10 years or more and three of them 30 years or more. I value that. And where geography and time together and circumstances have changed in our lives, we are still together as friendships because we've stayed put and built connections. When we decide to move on from anything, from a marriage, even from a business or a partnership, certainly from a church, we join the growing ranks of those that are kind of looking for what's supposedly greener on the other side of the hill. And we miss out on what's truly great. So that's the first one, life together through belonging. Second one, life together through community. In Matthew it says, and Jesus said when the disciple asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And Jesus is saying that in life you will have a vertical relationship with God. And that will be challenging at times, and you will go through growth in that. And you're also going to have a horizontal relationship with the people of God. He's talking there about the people of God and the importance in your life. Many of you have friendships. Many of you have family. Many of you have gone to sports clubs. You belong to alumni clubs from your schools that you attended. You're a part of your kid's life through school and PTA. You're a part of Kiwanis or Rotary, and those are great organizations. But they are nothing like what it means to be connected within the body of Christ with other believers and what God can do in your life. See, our community is unique in that it's based on a common relationship 
with Christ. It's unique because it's based on a common relationship with Christ. And look how Christ himself modeled this idea of relationship. The the Godhead is in relationship in the Trinity. Jesus, during his time on earth, while he taught thousands, tens of thousands and thousands followed him, he had a group of 12 that he called to be in his closest relationship, who he did life with, he ate with, he dreamed with, he suffered with, he asked to pray for him. He even had a group of three within that who were the closest part of it. Even the first century church in Acts chapter 2 and 42 through 47, which is kind of our core verse for this, it talks about they gathered in temple courts, like sanctuary like this, but they also met house to house in small groups. So when I talk about doing life together in community, I'm talking about small groups. I'm talking about 12 to 15 people who you know and you care for and you're close with. Hebrews 10.24 describes this group in this way. He says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's second coming. And and here's the importance for it. Because see, when we're gathered together in that small group, there's lots of benefits. You see, there's lots of what I want to describe as interdependent relationships. And here's here's the importance of this, is that in our lives, we need to work harder to pursue interdependence over independence or codependence. See, we as Americans, we know independence. Oh, we know it so well. It says, I don't need you. It says, I'd better off without you. It says, I, I need, I've got everything I got, and it's right here. And codependence, it's no better. It, it's, health, it's relationship in kind of a sick way. It's an unhealthy way. I need something from you, you know, that I can't provide for myself or I can't find in a healthy way. But interdependence says you're in mutual dependence upon others. You're in mutual accountability with others. That you can share resources with, forcing interdependence. And what happens in those environments? And and I I would tell you, uh, having been a follower of Christ for over 40 years, having been in ministry for over 35 years, I have found that all these things are provided best within a small group. 12 or 15 people, give it that number, it can range. Maybe it's just five or six that you are close with. And here's what happens in those small groups. And these aren't in your notes, so write these down. The first one is you grow. I don't know any better place than a small group for transformation and growth to occur. And you study God's word together. You discuss it as a group in our, in our growth groups from the sermon. You discuss the sermon. You learn to apply it in your life. You go out and try to apply it in your life. You come back and talk about your successes and failures in that. And, and you support each other in that way. It, it's just the best thing that can happen for spiritual growth. A uh, second thing that happens within small groups that doesn't happen in a larger body is that there is real care. That there is real support. How many of you would say right now you're in a crisis? Just a few of you are willing to raise your hands, not many. How many of you say uh, you're feeling good right now and life's kind of happy? Okay, a few of you. Now here, if you've ever heard me, you know my philosophy on this. If you're feeling good right now, it means you just came out of a crisis or you're headed towards one. So just enjoy the respite. Let me give you a second principle on this. is If you're feeling good right now, your temptation is to be independent. And this is the time to build interdependence because when that crisis hits, that's going to hit, it's just not that far down the road, whether it's the loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or or any number of different things, that's the last time in the world you should be trying to connect with others. 
Do it before so that when that crisis hits, you have the kind of people in your life who at 2 a.m. you can call and say, my life's falling apart. Are you there for me? In fact, you have the kind of people in your life who say, if you don't call me at 2 a.m. when your life is falling apart, I'm going to be ticked because I would call you. And I will be there for you. I've had people say to me, you know, something happens in my life and I don't call them. They're mad at me. Don't, I consider you the kind of person who offers that support to me. Why don't you consider me to be the kind of person that offers that support to you? And immediately I go, I should, shouldn't I? Because you just told me you're that kind of person for me. And you want to be that kind of person for me. And I'll offer a, just a third idea is that not only do we grow together and do we care for each other, but we do ministry together. Small groups should do ministry together. Teams should do ministry together. We would love our small groups to be the engine that makes ministry go on. It's the place where you're empowered and equipped to do the work of God, both in your family and in your community and maybe even globally. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy when he says, And you, what you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses, entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. So he had this idea that it was out of these small groups that they would form ministry teams, they'd do ministry together, and then they'd be sent out to do more ministry together. See, we need a few people in our lives that know us and that we know well. We need a place to experience transformation and growth. We need a place where we're supported, and we need a team to carry the gospel to our community and to the world. In your bulletins, there's an insert for our growth groups that are starting in mid-September. This is much earlier than we normally put it out, but we want you to have time to think about the idea of getting involved in a group, of of tearing that off, of filling that out and saying, I'm going to do that. Give us 10 weeks this fall. We want to start 15 to 20 new groups to connect people in these vital relationships. Give us 10 weeks. If it wasn't a good experience, we'll say, try a new group. That one was just lousy. No. We'll, we'll talk to you about why it didn't work and maybe connect you somewhere. Also, we'll say, hey, persevere in that group. There's something to be learned there with that group of people. Then finally, we do life together in partnership. We do life together through belonging. We do life together through community. We do life together in partnership. I don't know if you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s. He was a resistor of the Nazi regime. During the war, he was driven underground into a group of young seminarians in the woods, essentially, living off the land. And there together, they enjoyed a unique kind of partnership together. He published a book posthumously called Life Together. And in it, he outlined what the scripture talked about when it talked about the one another's. See, the Bible uses this phrase one another quite often throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And he kind of categorizes some of them. So I'm going to give you the one another, the principle, a few verses around it in one of his statements to understand it. The first one another, the first thing we do in partnership with other believers is we love one another. We love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. Love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. What are you supposed to do? Love one another. Second one is, we pray for one another and we confess to one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed, and that the prayer of a righteous person may have great power as it is working. I love what Bonhoeffer says about this idea of prayer and confession. He says, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another. Or it collapses. And then I love that he's so practical in the way he says this. He says, I can no longer condemn 
or hate or even dislike a person that I pray for. Here's a solution for if you hate someone, if you want to condemn someone, if you just don't like someone, start praying for them and see if that doesn't change your heart towards them. And I love Bonhoeffer. He has this phrase, no matter how much trouble it causes me, how much grief it causes me to pray for people I hate, condemn or don't like, if I do it, my attitude towards them will change. Third, we are to encourage one another. Now, the scriptures use a lot of different words for that. It's exhort, to teach, to admonish one another. Thessalonians says, encourage one another and build one another up. Romans fifteen fourteen says, be filled with knowledge and instruct one another. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. I like the way Bonhoeffer says, he says, There's nothing crueler than me seeing a believer in Christ in sin and not admonishing them. There's nothing crueler. Basically it says, I don't care about you enough to draw you back to our Savior. I don't care about you enough to admonish you when you're in sin and to correct you and bring you back into the fold and forgive you and love you. Bonhoeffer says, there's nothing cruelier than a leniency that abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than a severe reprimand from a brother in Christ that draws them back into the community of believers. Wow. Finally, we bear one another's burdens. We are kind and serving and caring towards each other. First Corinthians says there be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. And finally in Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bear one another's burdens in love. A couple years, uh, last year we did a series called Unleashing Hope. We used a book by Ray Johnston called The Hope Quotient. And I loved, I shared this then in a message about a year and a half ago that Ray Johnson talks about how every one of us as followers of Christ needs to have a team around of us. You know, like there's a small forward and a shooting guard and a point guard on a basketball team. We need a team. And he shares these one another's in kind of a contemporary fashion. And I put them at the bottom of your notes. And I'd love for you, if you have a pencil, to do one of two things. To write a name there of someone who provides that for you. And I'll tell you what they are. Or to write a name there of someone who you want to ask to provide that for you because that place on your team is empty right now. And even one more step, if you write a name there of someone who plays that role for you on your team, encourage them even more in, to do that and to recognize the value of that. So who are the people on your team? Well, all of us need a vision caster. Someone who's a challenge us to go to new heights in ways that we never expected before. When I was a young believer and, and, and a newly involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Bill Bright was my vision caster. He always challenged me to go one step farther. He put the bar up higher. You need a soul sharpener, someone who just sharpens your soul in terms of your spiritual growth. I think of a friend of 30 years who's been there with me through a lot of times in his life and has always taught me from God's word and taught me truth. We need models and mentors. Who are the models and mentors in your life of the Christian walk in the marketplace or on a sports team or in the classroom or in your marriage or maybe as a parent? Who are those people that do that for you? In 1 Corinthians it says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Who's your heart healer? Everybody just needs someone, and women, you get this so much better than us as men, but there's some men in my life who get it. They're good listeners. They don't have quick answers for me, but they just hear me. They sometimes hold me. They're present in my life. Who's your heart healer? And who's your tail kicker? 
I love this. This is a person who exhorts you, who admonishes you with your own sin, who just says you can be better. They love to tell us the truth. Who tells you the truth? You know, they say it's the task of some to comfort the afflicted. That's the heart healer. For the tail kicker, it's the task of them to afflict the comfortable. Now, can you draw you into a secret? And I won't even do this in the 11 o'clock service because my wife will be here. She hates it, but I always say the number one tail kicker in my life is my wife. And, and not in any sort of mean-spirited ways, because here's what it is. She says, Rob, I want you to be your best. I know you better than anyone. I see you in your worst moments, and I want you to be your best. I want you to be your best in your relationship with God. I want you to be your best in my, our marriage. I want you to be your best as a parent for our four kids. I want you to be your best for the church. And so I'm going to tell you when you're messing up. Not because I enjoy it. <laughs> she doesn't. But because she wants me to be my best. So what do you do with this? If you're not a Christian, come join the family of God. Trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Come a part of his kingdom. If you are a Christian, but you've just kind of been attending here as a visitor or as kind of a consumer, join our church. Come to our next membership class in late September. See what it's all about and join us. If you are a member, but you're thinking there are parts of what Rob talked about that I don't experience within the church, that kind of closeness, that kind of one another partnership, that kind of community, join one of our small groups this fall. And if you're doing all those things, here's what I'd say. Empower others to do the same. Use your gifts and talents and what you know about that community to empower others to do the same. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we are grateful that you have chosen us as your church, your people, your community, that you've chosen us to belong together as we take on the mutual responsibility of being members at South Shores, that you've chosen us to live in community with small groups of people who will help us to grow and care for us and be our team. Lord, we're thankful that you have chosen us to live in partnership with other followers of Christ to gain all that we need to be fully devoted followers. And Lord, we confess that day to day, we don't always commit ourselves to these things in the way that we should because we are so busy or we do not know their value or they're just sometimes uncomfortable. But we know you are calling us to them. And so help us today to renew our commitment to these things. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.